So this morning we come to the uh, close of the Nehemiah series. And the series title is God's Emerging Future. Discerning God's will for our lives, for the church. And no matter what, we constantly, we continually move in a direction. So in Nehemiah, there's been 13 chapters and there's been 13 sermons. Now just a tidbit of information. Um, Actually, this is the largest series I've ever preached on. My character is such that I find it difficult preaching a series beyond four or five sermons, and I I just can't stay focused, and I go on to bunny trails and pick other passages. In fact, I tried to hide over catechism one time, and you know how many Lord's Days are in there, 52. Couldn't be done. Um, Didn't get too far. I was distracted with other passages. So this is quite an accomplishment for me, and, and trusting it is for you. Going through the whole book of Nehemiah, it was a blessing for me. And I hope that it was a blessing for you as well. So in a moment, we're going to be going through um, the final chapter, Nehemiah 13. And I say I'm going to go through it kind of begrudgingly. I I say that because I think we should have stopped that last week's message. Um, If you recall, last week's message, chapter 12, was one of celebration. Nehemiah 12, verse 43, it states, And on that day the people offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. It should have been amen. Close the book. Stop the print. But Nehemiah was prompted to include chapter 13 in here. And obviously for a reason, and we'll get to that shortly. As we get to chapter 13, you'll see and begin to understand what I mean because it's kind of a downer of a passage. It's about people's disobedience. It's about a holy people who dedicated the temple, who made promises, who were celebrating, and now here we have it that they're not acting so holy. They're not sticking to their binding agreement that they made before God and before one another in chapter 10. And the people specifically stated there that we promise, we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or to take their daughters for our sons. We promise when the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. We promise every seventh year we'll forego working the land and we're going to cancel all the debts. We promise we assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. We promise we assume the responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. So you hear the promises, the commitments. People saying, you have my word. And yet, why are we people who renege on our commitments? So this morning we read from Nehemiah 13. And before we do, let's come to God in prayer. Lord God, again, we are blessed to read from your word and we are able to do this freely in your presence, in the presence of all your people. We just thank you for opportunities to read and also hear your word proclaimed, to give us a better understanding of what it is to speak, what you are speaking to us. So bless the reading. Um, Lord, we've been blessed through the passages, the first 12 chapters, and then we kind of come to this chapter and we wonder what's going on. But may that purpose become clear and may we 
learn from it and take home what it is that you are speaking to us this morning and and for our lives and for our church. So hear our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah 13. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God. And as they're reading this, they hear why. Because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. And our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. So when the people heard the law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Now before this, Eliashab, the high priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. And he was closely uh, associated with Tobiah, and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. So Eliashab became friends with Tobiah, said, hey, come on into the temple, you can have some room. He put his stuff in there, which meant that there wasn't stuff for the Jewish people. As they came to bring tithes and offerings, there wasn't room, so people over time didn't bring them anymore. Um, It says here that the Levites, musicians, and gatekeepers lacked, or we'll hear more, that they lacked from the tithes as well. But chapter, verse 6, while all this was going on, Nehemiah says, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Nehemiah 1, he came in the 20th year of Artaxerxes. He left in the 32nd year. So Nehemiah was in Jerusalem for 12 years. So 12 years has gone by now. And he went back to Babylon. So he was absent from Jerusalem. Sometime later, I asked uh, the king's permission and came back to Jerusalem. And here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. And I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. And I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put them back, or back into them, the equipment of the house of God with grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and, all, and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, Why is the house of God neglected? And then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. And so all Judah brought their tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil into the storerooms. And I put Shilamiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and a Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms, and made Hanan, son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, their assistant, because they were considered trustworthy, and they were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in grain, and loading it on donkeys, together with wine and grapes and figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. And therefore I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing that you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same things so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on the city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, 
I ordered the doors to be shut and not open until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gate so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem, but I warned them and said, Why do you spend the night by the wall? And if you do this again, I will arrest you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. And then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, or the language of one of the other peoples, and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. Now this is a problem, because the scriptures for the Jews were in Hebrew language. So I rebuked them and called curses down on them. And I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair, and I made them take an oath in God's name and said, You are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Jodah, son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanblet, the Horonite, and I drove him away from me. Remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. So I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties each to his own tasks. And I also made a provision for contributions of wood at designated times and for the first fruits. Remember me with favor, my God. This is the end of the book of Nehemiah. So you've got to admit, it's a bit of a downer. It's disappointing to hear. Chapter 1, as we said, uh, began with Nehemiah leaving for Jerusalem in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, king of Babylon. And here in chapter 13, verse 6, we read that it's now the 32nd year. 12 years that Nehemiah has been the governor of Judah. Nehemiah hasn't been present in Jerusalem for some time because he returned to Babylon. And so this week in chapter 13, as time has now passed, maybe six months, maybe 12 months, we're not exactly sure, but things have changed drastically. General William Booth, he's the founder of the Salvation Army, he once said, I want you to bear in mind that it's the nature of a fire to go out. A fire must be kept stirred and the ashes removed. Nehemiah discovered that the fires of devotion had gone out in Jerusalem. He left for Babylon and returned to Jerusalem, and things had changed. The people were no longer living up to the vows and the promises that they made in chapter 10. And this passage is summarized well by one of our Reformed confessions. As we heard the Heidelberg Catechism this morning, earlier in the service, we read the Law of God, and then the, the Catechism that follows, it asks the question, can we keep this law perfectly? And it answered no. But it also answers that we have a natural tendency to hate God, to hate our neighbor. So if we stay stagnant 
and we choose not to move in a direction of God's will, of God's choosing, our natural tendency will be to move towards hate. So this chapter 13, as much as we don't want to hear about it, it's included in Nehemiah to remind us how things can quickly change. That we have to be aware when we make a commitment that we need to stick to the commitment and discern God's will for His people. Discern God's emerging future. And when we stick to a God-following commitment, stay strong. Stay intentional. We can see it often when there is a renewal and commitment by a people that Satan is not far away. Because he's going to tempt his people into falling short of their commitment. Recall the story of Moses. When Moses went before God on Mount Sinai and and he received the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 19, verse 8, the people of Israel proclaimed, we will do everything the Lord has said. And then it wasn't long after that that they became impatient with Moses on the mountain. They decide to make their own God. And you get the golden calf story in Exodus 32. Joshua 24, verse 18. Again, the people of Israel, they cry out, We too will serve the Lord because He is our God. And then the people just slowly faded. They slowly faded away from their Lord. They did their own thing. They went towards a cycle of disobedience. And you can read in the book of Judges. Even in the New Testament, three disciples got together with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. They go up the mountain with Jesus. They witness what is called the transfiguration of Jesus in Matthew 17. And then it was shortly after that, they come down, and they're in Matthew 18, the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Early on in Jesus' ministry, immediately after the baptism of Jesus, then Jesus did not and cannot sin. And the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness and Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. That Jesus, of course, did not give in to the temptation. But the devil was there. And here we have Nehemiah 10 and 12. We're talking about commitment. We're talking about celebration. And then this slow fade into complacency and lack of commitment. The people had disobeyed most of their promises that they had made before God and before one another. When I get together with a faith formation class and there's a a desire to make public profession of faith, I usually warn the class that there's going to be a target on them. Because the devil does not want to want people publicly professing their faith in the Lord. They don't want people professing the name of the Lord. Rather, the devil doesn't want people to profess the name of the Lord. It angers the devil when people publicly profess their faith. And that they make a commitment to Jesus and to his church. And the devil is going to do things to get God's people off track. But then let's not only blame the devil, right? Because we have decisions to make. We have choices to make. And we need to be intentional with keeping our commitments to God. We need to be intentional about growing and staying on the journey that God has put us on. 
not stain in one spot. Our family likes going to the beach in Florida each winter, and, and uh, we love going to places where the waves are usually pretty wild and high, and some days a place where we go, um, some days we're not even able to enter into the water because the waves are too wild, but it calms down again to what's reasonable. So then when we do enter the water, and uh, we're intending to often stay just in one spot, we're not big swimmers or anything, but we like jumping the waves. You jump the waves for a few moments, and as time goes on, you look back at the shore, and you realize all of a sudden that there's a bit of a different view than when you first started out. Our intention was to stay in one spot where we were parked on the beach, but the current has slowly drifted us down a little further down the beach. So then we all have to try to get back and and often that takes a bit of effort going against the force of the drift. I think there's a thing called spiritual drift. People have good intentions. They make commitments to God and to the church and yet over a period of time without realizing people slowly drift away. They drift away from their commitments, perhaps so far as drifting away from the church and then even from the faith. There's a Casting Crowns song, and it's titled Slow Fade. And in that song, it says, People never crumble in a day. You see, spiritual drifts, they don't necessarily occur overnight, they occur over a period of time. The Jewish people reneged on their commitments over a period of time. Chapter 13 begins with talking about the Ammonites and the Moabites not being admitted into the community. Now this passage is not saying, do not reach out to people with different nationalities. It's not saying it's dangerous to reach out. There was a history with these nations. There was a history with Ammon and Moab. Ammon and Moab were born from the incestuous union of Lot and his two daughters, Genesis 19. And their descendants were the enemies of the Jews. There was a history with some of the individuals mentioned. These nations and individuals had already proven that they were not wanting to follow God. They wanted the blessings of God, but they didn't want to be obedient to Him. They didn't want to submit to His will. These people wanted to make their own rules. They wanted to follow their own ways. And perhaps even take the Israelites with them. So Tobiah was an Ammonite. And here he was given room in the temple by Eliashab, a Jewish priest. Eliashab, the priest, had one of his family members married to Sanballat's daughter. We read that in verse 28. Sanballat was an enemy of the Jews, and Sanballat and Tobiah were friends. And so here we have Eliashab, the priest, allowing Tobiah into the temple taking up room. And Tobiah was a mocker and strongly opposed Nehemiah, strongly opposed the Lord. And allowing him into the temple was a slow fade. It was a slow trickle. The fact was that there was no rooms in the temple. No, 
No extra rooms. No tithes could be set up there. People weren't receiving the food. They weren't receiving the tithes. People then left. The musicians and Levites left. Now, we read in Scripture that uh, the story of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. She was included in the Jewish community. So it wasn't a hard and fast rule that people weren't allowed in. But they had to be careful. Ruth chose to follow God. And she was, in fact, included in the line of Jesus. So the principle behind this is that relationships are important. It's important to know who you hang around with. Because, yes, you, I, I hope that you will have an impact on those people that you hang around with. But they may also have an impact on you. And it may not be a positive impact. We read words in Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen: As iron sharpens iron, no, so one person sharpens another. In the New Testament, Paul tells this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 5 that God desires his people to be careful who you enter into relationships with. Because the devil will use other people to lead you into a spiritual drift. Again, be careful with the choices of friends that you hang out with. Be careful with the places that you go to. Meeting friends. Meeting life partners. Now also here, the people went against their promises on marriage. And they married those who were not of the same faith. And this is a choice that couples make together. And this decision may not so much impact a couple, but you have to look beyond just the present. It more so will impact the children. So when a Jewish man married a woman from Ashdod, Ammon, or Moab, verse 23, they would have kids. Now the Jewish man would not always be the one to spend the time with the kids, to train the kids in the way of the Lord. He was working out at a house for the survival. And again, the Jewish religion was linked to culture and specifically the Hebrew language. So the non-Jewish mother would not know the Jewish language and not be able to teach the children the five books of Moses. So according to verse 24, half of the kids spoke a foreign language and would not grow up knowing God, the God of Israel. It was not intentional. It just happened. And the mother likely taught her customs and taught about her gods. According to verse 25, this really ticked Nehemiah off. Enough to call curses upon them and pull out some hair and beat up some of the men. He was serious about commitment and relationships. Because God is serious about commitment and relationships. And the impact that they have on children. Recall in the New Testament... Jesus said, let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The impact on the kids, this upset Nehemiah because it upset God. This was serious stuff. Again, the principle behind this is to ensure you marry someone of the same faith. But also, when you do marry someone of the same faith, just don't take it for granted either. Ensure the children are being taught the right things. What spiritual language are our children picking up? Are we open enough about our faith, about our relationship with the Lord, that so the kids hear what God is doing in our lives? Or are we keeping it to ourselves? 
When the children are at home, are we making sure we identify things of God? Are we able to say that, you know, God has blessed us with this new day, the sun shining, the rain pouring. God is in control. God has blessed us with finances, and we are sharing our finances with the church. And this is how much we are sharing. Don't keep it to yourself. Share how God watches over us. That God has things in control when things even don't go according to our plans. We have to be intentional with our children at home, at school, at church, in leisure activities. If we're not speaking openly about our faith and about our actions in the kingdom of God, the world is. You got television, you got movies, you got Netflix, you got sports, and the world's speaking loudly. So what spiritual language are our kids learning and hearing? There's also Sabbath talk in this passage. We're not under the strict rules of the Old Testament, but the principles have not changed. Jesus said in the New Testament, people were made, not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for the people. Sabbath is to be a blessing to the people. It's to bring healing. It's to bring wholeness to the people. So Sabbath is important and necessary. And God calls us to take Sabbath, to meet with his people regularly. And we have to be aware of how we spend our time on the Sabbath and throughout the week. Are we putting time aside for physical rest? Are we putting time aside for spiritual rest? Time aside for devotion to God? Is everything so business-focused throughout the week that we want to ensure then that we have enough time for leisure and that leisure occurs on the weekends? Leisure is a good gift. But where are we making time for God and for His people? So Nehemiah here in the passage is, is suggesting to implement legalistic rules. And that is what was needed for the people of Israel. God wanted to ensure the Jewish line. A savior was to come from this line. Again, in the New Testament, God's people are encouraged to follow Jesus. To respond to what he has done in love for him. Love for one another. God's not giving out commands and laws to punish His people, but to ensure that His people make the right choices. That we make the right choices in life. That we follow Him. Now, it's easy to see the faults of others. It's easy for me to prepare a sermon and say, Oh... I hope so-and-so's here to hear this, or so-and-so's here, or this person doesn't miss today. But today, we don't point fingers. But simply allow the Spirit of the Lord to convict us where we need to change in our own lives. The Spirit of God needs to convict me where I need to change. I have blind spots. We all have the, potentially, the potential and tendency to slowly drift. And we all need to look into our hearts to see where God is prompting us to change. Today is Mother's Day. Mothers and fathers, don't hesitate to bring up conversations with your children. Parents, congregation, do not hesitate to share where you saw God at work this week in your life, in the life of your kids, in the life of your parents, in others around you in our work, in our play. Because God is present. We profess that. He's present always. God has given us His Word. 
And he's given us passages like Nehemiah 13 so that we can learn, so that we can grow closer to him, so that we can move towards his will, his emerging future. He has given us these passages so that we do not take Christian community for granted. God has given us a church body to hold us accountable, to equip us for serving Him, for encouraging one another, for loving one another. To take a step back and just to look into our own lives and into our own hearts. Get together with the body of God's people as often as you can on Sabbath, on Sundays, during the week. Be encouraged to keep the commitments that we have made before God and before one another. Our God gives His grace to us. He gives us direction. He's given us life and freedom through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He doesn't want us to take for granted what He did for us through His Son. And remember that the devil is at work. The devil's at work in God's people. And people can easily drift spiritually. But let's turn our hearts and our lives to Jesus to reaffirm your faith over and over and share it with one another. Share it with your children. Share it with the body. And give God thanks for His work, for His Word, for His Son, Jesus Christ. And allow God to continue to lead us. This ends the book of Nehemiah. And we all say together, Amen. Before we pray, let us um, commit, recommit, profess our faith publicly. And let's stand as we say the words of the Apostles' Creed. And Reuben, I think you got that on the screen, right? Good stuff. So let's stand and profess our faith. Let's say together in our hearts and out loud with our mouths, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. God, so often we commit to you and to your church, and we again profess our words to the Apostles' Creed, what we believe. We've professed them many times. We profess them as a church body, as a bride of Christ. And then sometimes we fall short. We slip into our natural tendency, but thankfully your spirit is greater than ours. Your power is greater than the devil's. And you pull us out of that mire. You pull us out of the muck and you offer us your grace. For it is by grace we have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's all what you have done and it's not what we have done. So continue your work in us as your people and may we not take for granted all that you do in our lives and all that you have done through the cross.
and through your Son. Through your Holy Spirit, may we intentionally move towards your emerging future as a response of loving you, as a response of loving one another. And we bless